the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Paul actually takes some of the gifts of the Spirit here. You might have noticed them interspersed here in the first section. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he talks about if I have the gift of tongues, he says... If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, he also adds in verse 2, if I have a faith, the gift of faith that can move mountains. Verse 3 says, if I give all I possess to the poor, if I have the gift of giving, all right, if I have all these various spiritual gifts, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. I'm only making noise. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Most of us would love to have the gifts of prophecy, mountain-moving faith, tongues, or generosity. But those things are only secondary according to today's passage. As Pastor Gary leads us through 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, He draws our attention to the most important gift of the Holy Spirit, love. It's the most powerful gift you can possess, and it is crucial evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your hearts and life. If it's something you find yourself lacking in, then it's time to seek God's transforming power. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as he continues his message, Gifts of the Spirit, part four. What actually is best, just in terms of this one category of financial stewardship is when a spender marries a saver all right when a spender marries a saver now there's now it's complementary and one can kind of be a good tension for the other so the spenders tell the save and but the challenge is though and here's and here's where i'm going to go because he's going to make this case too don't look at your differences as something to get bothered about don't look at your differences as something that could cause division he's going to mention that because the case he's going to make is there's, there's richness in the differences. No one difference is better than another, okay? But don't use your differences to cause division. And the same thing can happen in a marriage where two people are different. They actually complement each other. It's actually a beautiful meshing of two people who are different, but they complement each other, okay? But don't look at your differences as somehow being weird or wrong. That's the challenge because you see, just using again, that illustration of marriage with savers and spenders, the spenders can tend to look at the savers and think, what? You're chintzy. You're stingy. 
You don't ever want to give anybody anything. Look how stingy and chintzy you are. And then the saver looks at the spender and says, if it weren't for me, we wouldn't have anything to give to anybody else. You know, and then you can judge them for being frivolous with, with money. Okay? And so there's a good tension if it's properly understood and if two people understand how they can balance each other and complement each other. That's what he's saying here in the church. So for those of you taking notes, between verses 12 and 24, what we just read, he's saying different gifts equal, however, in importance. Different gifts of the Spirit equal, however, in importance. But then the last two verses I read, verses 25 and 26, he says, don't let your differences cause divisions. Don't go around condemning someone because they may not have the gift that you have. Don't look down on somebody because they don't have what you have. Don't be envious of someone because they have what you want. God distributes liberally as he chooses. Just be thankful for the gifts God has given you and function in those particular gifts. So again, verses 25 and 26, let me read it again. He says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Okay, so that's, that's the, the thing that he stresses here. Different parts, different gifts, great. One body, one church. Jesus is the head We all have different parts and function beautifully, but don't let your differences cause division. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Celebrate with those who celebrate. If one part is honored, rejoice with it. If one part suffers, you should hurt with that part as well. And that's the way it works too in your body. If you you stub your toe, your whole body hurts. And if someone in the church is hurting, you should have empathy and hurt with them. And if somebody in the body is rejoicing, you should join in their celebration. Because the church should care for one another and function together in a complementary way, not in a divisive way. And unfortunately, the gifts of the Spirit have become way too divisive in the body of Christ today. And shame on us for making the gifts of the Spirit a source of contention and division. I'm not saying necessarily here. I, I I haven't noticed it here, but I'm just saying in general, in the body of Christ... Shame on us if we, if we use the gifts of the Spirit to cause any kind of division or discord uh, in the church. That's not why they were given. So the last part of this chapter, he says this, because we're going to see now a couple more gifts. Verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church of God, and, and in the church, God has appointed, first of all, and here are some of these gifts, apostles, second, prophets, Third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. All right, now, that, that end section there, he's, he's just throwing out a bunch of rhetorical questions. Because he's, what he's wanting to say is, not everybody speaks in tongues, not everybody prophesies, not everybody has the gift of healing. Okay? God distributes the gifts as he determines. So don't get all worked up because you don't have a particular gift. Just be thankful for the gifts you do have and function in those gifts and give glory to God in that way. Don't envy. Don't be jealous. 
Just function in the gifts that God has given you. Now, in this last section here, I rattled, rattled off eight gifts, but he's already mentioned four of those in that list. And so I'm going to mention the other four that we haven't already touched on. And those are the gifts of apostleship, uh, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of administration, and the gifts of helps. Okay, so here, so here we go. Just again, a few more definitions to add to the list. The gift of apostleship. He mentions there that God has given, first of all, apostles uh, in verse 28. The gift of apostleship is a visionary gift for planting and overseeing churches or ministries and for maintaining doctrinal integrity. Now, Paul is called an apostle and he had an apostolic gift because his gifting was he went from town to town to town throughout Asia Minor planting churches. But he would never stay very long. Because he was not called to be a pastor. He was, he was an apostle. And the apostle is one who has a gift of planting something, handing it off, and moving on. That is a true apostolic gift. Where you plant something, you get something started, you kind of maintain some doctrinal oversight. But other than that, you move on. It's kind of a vi- this visionary gift. Now, this particular gift... Uh, is important to understand in terms of its availability and its function today. Because, strictly speaking, we have to differentiate between the gift of apostleship and the office of apostles. Why is that important to distinguish? Because the Bible tells us that there are two strict definitions for what makes an apostle. And I raise this because you might ask, Are there apostles today? And if there are apostles today, they have to qualify by two strict qualifications that Scripture teaches us. For you note-takers, the first qualification is that an apostle, by definition, talking about the office of an apostle, a person who claims to be an apostle, number one, must be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. The Bible tells us in Acts 1... 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now, they're talking about replacing Judas. And they add in Acts 1, 22, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So when the apostles were trying to decide who should replace Judas, and by the way, I mentioned this last week or the week before, I'm not sure that that was their business to do because it seems from Scripture that God just simply wanted to choose Paul. That would be later. But they feel like, well, we've got we to replace Judas. And they at least understood this much, that one who is going to be called an apostle among us must be one who has been an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. It's Acts 1.22. I just read it to you. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. When did Paul see the resurrected Jesus? Remember when he was on the road to Damascus, the Bible says, breathing out murderous threats, persecuting the church of Jesus, wanting to kill Christians, he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, that he is an apostle, although one abnormally born. That's the word that he uses. That's the term he uses because he says, I didn't come conventionally by seeing the resurrected Jesus when Jesus actually rose from the dead, but I actually did see him much later when Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus years later. But nevertheless, he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. 
The other strict qualification for an apostle, according to Scripture, is out of 2 Corinthians 12, 12. And it tells us that the things that mark an apostle, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the things that mark an apostle are signs, wonders, and miracles done among you with great perseverance. So, an apostle, strictly speaking, must be one who has been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ and is one who performs signs, wonders, and miracles. So then I get asked the question, are there apostles today? Because in some circles of Christianity, some people carry that title, apostle so-and-so. And my answer would be, unless they've seen the resurrected Jesus and unless they can perform miracles, they are not, strictly speaking, an apostle. There are no apostles unless those things happen. So I don't want to say that it is impossible because Paul, after the fact, saw the resurrected Jesus, and he was also one who was able to perform miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. But aside from that, there are no apostles today. That said, the gifting of apostleship is still available in this sense that God still gifts certain people to have certain visions to launch churches or ministries and then hand them off. It's an apostolic kind of a gifting where the person doesn't have a long-term relationship with some ministry, some church, but they get it started and then they move along. And then the other gift here, that uh, one of the other four that Paul mentions at the end of this 12th chapter, is the gift of teaching. And it really doesn't need any more explanation other than the one I've given to you on the screen. Teaching is the inspired ability to communicate God's truth with clarity so that those in the church may learn and grow in their faith. Pretty self-explanatory. So the gift of teaching. Two more then that he mentions here also at the end of chapter 12. The gift of helps uh, in verse 28. And the gift of administration in verse 28. So the gift of helps is the special ability to serve or assist others in practical, meaningful ways. This is basically a quiet ministry of helping people. Uh, people with the gift of helps don't have to be asked to do anything. They just see someone in need and they jump in. And it usually is behind the scenes. Someone with the gift of helps, usually behind the scenes, just helping people where there's a need. They seem to have a special eye and a heart for people in need, and they just help them without being asked. It's a wonderful gift, and it's very important in the body of Christ like all the other gifts. And then the gift of administration is the inspired ability to devise and execute plans and objectives within the body of Christ. Now, the Greek word here in, that's the original language of the New Testament, the Greek word for administration is the word kupernesis, kupernesis. Kupernesis actually translates a shipmaster or a captain. The literal meaning is to steer or to rule or govern. It carries the idea of someone who guides and directs a group of people toward a goal or destination. And with this gift, the Holy Spirit enables certain Christians to organize, direct, and implement plans. It is a task-oriented gifting that is concerned with details and organization. And we need people with the gift of administration uh, in the body of Christ. Now, I want to just quickly add, just for the sake of completing the list, okay, we're not going to turn there and have, you know, more Bible study on these particular gifts, but I do want to just give you the list of the others that are found between Romans 12, 6 and 8, and Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. 
In Romans 12, there, there's a, a list of some gifts given. And again, when you eliminate the ones that have already been mentioned, you find from Romans 12 five new gifts between verses 6 and 8. And those gifts are serving, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. Serving is similar to the gift of helps, only whereas the gift of helps is more people-oriented, the gift of serving is more task-oriented. It is rolling up your sleeves and doing things within the church because it just needs to get done. So it's more task-oriented than it is necessarily people-oriented, but it is seeing a need and doing the work. Encouraging is, you know, just as it sounds. It's coming alongside of someone and encouraging them because you see that they are discouraged. You just have a wonderful way of just speaking encouraging words or giving, you know, the right scripture verse. What does Proverbs say? A word aptly spoken is like apples of uh, gold and settings of silver. And, it, you know, just a wonderfully appropriate, encouraging word. Or maybe you come alongside of somebody and you just want to pray for them. And, and you have always that, that right thing to say for those who are discouraged. The gift of giving is, is, is a gift where you're able to manage your finances well. It doesn't necessarily mean you're wealthy. It could mean that. God gives people wealth and, uh, and the ability to make money. That's what Deuteronomy tells us. Uh, don't think it is of your own means that you've produced this wealth, but it is God who gives us the ability, okay? I'm not talking about get rich because God gets people rich because if you become a Christian, you get rich. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying if you understand that the source of all that you own and all that you have come from above then we want to be good stewards of it. And God gifts certain people to manage your finances well, whether you have a lot of it or a little of it, all of it comes from his hand, to be able to bless others and to just be generous. Uh, and, and so that is a gift that God gives to some people. Leadership is another gift. It's the ability to lead and influence others, to direct them harmoniously. The gift of mercy is a wonderful gift. It's the ability to show empathy and compassion to people in distress to be very merciful to people who are in need. You have also in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, two more gifts that are mentioned outside of the ones that are already repeated. You have the gift of evangelism and the gift of pastoring slash shepherding. It is a Greek word poema that can mean either to pastor or to shepherd. But evangelism is the ability to develop relationships with people and share the gospel with people in just a warm and genuine way. And you have a unique and just a natural way of leading people to Christ. So you might have that gift of evangelism. Um, and then the gift of pastoring or shepherding is the gift to be able to nurture and care for the spiritual development of others. So that kind of rounds out the 20. You have 13 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Then you have seven more between this list out of Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. And so, you know, I trust that you might be able to identify the gifts that God has given you. And, you know, look, I also believe that as people grow and mature in their faith that God can choose to give you different gifts and new gifts. And so you may not identify certain ones right now that you may identify later. Let me read chapter 13. I don't know how far we're going to get into it tonight, but I'm going to read all of it, and then we'll come back and, in the few minutes we have left, and we'll, we'll talk about this. This is a wonderful chapter. This is known as the love chapter of the Bible. Um, G. Campbell Morgan said that examining this chapter is like dissecting a flower to understand it. He said, if you tear it apart too much, you lose the beauty. So I don't want to tear it apart too much. I want it to just to kind of speak for itself. Alan Redpath said that one could get a spiritual suntan from the warmth of this chapter. And it is a warm chapter indeed. I'm going to read all of it. It's only 13 verses. Paul says, now I will show you 
the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. All right, I'm going to save the bulk of my remarks for next Wednesday night's study, but I do want to at least say this much because last week I kind of ended with an intentional cliffhanger like, all right, so if tongues is not the, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is? And the answer is love. Because Paul actually takes some of the gifts of the Spirit here. You might have noticed them interspersed here in the first section. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he talks about if I have the gift of tongues, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries... He also adds in verse 2, if I have a faith, the gift of faith that can move mountains. Verse 3 says, if I give all I possess to the poor, if I have the gift of giving, all right, if I have all these various spiritual gifts, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. I'm only making noise. If I speak of the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only making noise. If I can fathom all these mysteries, if I give all I have to the poor, if I have all these great and wonderful spiritual gifts that God gives... But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And all of this is meaningless. Because the real and ultimate thing that identifies someone as having been baptized by the Holy Spirit is not a particular gift, it is love. The reason why he sandwiches chapter 13 between 12 and 14, which talks about the list of the gifts, and then chapter 14 talks about the function of the gifts, primarily tongues and prophecy. The reason he sandwiches chapter 13 between the two is because he wants us to know that the glue related to the spiritual gifts is love. What did Jesus say at the Last Supper? After he washes his disciples' feet, he says to them, By this will all men know that you are my my disciples if you love one another. Not if you're speaking in tongues. Not if you have the gift of healing. Not if you can prophesy. He said, The thing that will distinguish the church as really belonging to me is if... You have love, is if you demonstrate genuine, true love, that is the evidence that you belong to me, and that is the evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, do not be disheartened if you feel like you don't have a particular gift. The real measure of a man or a woman in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you want to know really 
whether or not you've been filled with God's Spirit, the evidence is love. We hope today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians has blessed you and drawn you closer to Jesus. Pastor Gary has more to share, but this is where we need to end for today. Feel free to read ahead before you join us next time on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again or explore other teachings from Pastor Gary Hamrick, just visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. Come by on Sunday or Wednesday to spend time in worship, Bible study, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be able to find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc or give us a call. We can be reached at 703-771-1500. And when you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please pray that we keep our eyes always on the truth of who God is and that we move forward only by His power. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.